Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for bringing us here together today, Lord, to worship you. We pray that you would place uh, your words, Lord, in our hearts, that you would speak to us. Lord, open our ears that we might hear you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless me as I preach your word today, Lord, and may it find a home, Lord, in our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It is so good to see you all today. Well, I have to tell you, the first service was a little uncomfortable uh, because I was talking about my mother-in-law and she was here, right? And you know, it's always better to talk about your mother-in-law when she's not here, don't you think? That's a Christian thing to do at least, right? I was saying actually really good things about my mother-in-law, but it was still, you know, a little challenging. Um... Right now, my mother-in-law has loaned me her car, which is nice because my car uh, is almost ready. I just have replaced the engine on my car, but it actually takes more work than you might think. Strange, fancy that. Um, So I've been driving around her car. So if you've seen me around town in a 1995 uh, Mustang convertible, 5.0, with a five-speed transmission um, that's painted like Arrest Me Right Now Red... uh, then it's not my car, it's hers. I'm borrowing it, right? I get a little embarrassed driving around in that thing because it's kind of vibrant and flashy in a way that I'm not really. But you know what? That car at times tempts you to drive fast. Anyone ever driven a car like that before? I don't know what it is about the thing. It like speaks to me. It says, Seth, hit my throttle. And I'm like, no, 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 I should not. I should not. And then it says, come on, you got to clean the carbon out of my cylinders. Just give it a little, and then the next thing I know, right, the tires are squealing and I'm sliding around the road. It's not my fault, though, I swear, it's the car. Now, I understand that it's my mother-in-law's car, right? Is there any contest to that? No, it's hers. I, I have no rightful ownership of the vehicle. And so if she were to ask for it back, what should I say? Yes, absolutely. Here you are. Thank you for letting me use it while I could. I can't say, uh, try and catch me. Can I? Would that work? No, because that's not how it's supposed to work. Or I can't say, well, here's the manual back. I'll keep the car. Is that cool? Do you think she'd be fine with that? It's a fair exchange. This talk's all about the car. Don't you think that's... It's got a picture of it in here. No, it's not the same thing, is it? No, when she wants the car back, she wants the car back. It's her rightful possession, and I've got to give it back to her eventually. I mean, that's just how it works, unfortunately. Now, in the parable for today, in the gospel passage, something similar to that is going on. Right? Remember, there's a landowner, and the landowner plants and landscapes a beautiful vineyard. This is not hard for us to imagine, is it? I mean, we live with vineyards all around us, don't we? I mean, you can just see it on a hillside with a beautiful wall around it and a watchtower and a wine press put in this vineyard. It's a beautiful scene that this landowner sets up. Things stop being beautiful about this point, though, right? Because he leases it to some folks and goes away for a while. Now, when the harvest time comes, the landowner sends his slaves to collect the produce, as is his right. Why is it his right? Oh, because he owns it. That's right. Absolutely. He owns it all. Now, the slaves that go to collect don't have an easy time of it. 
One gets beaten, another killed, and another stoned, which usually uh, leads to death. So the landowner sends more slaves to collect from the tenants. And what happens to them? Same thing, right? Exactly the same thing. Uh, They get beaten, killed, and stoned. I'd prefer the beaten part, right? I mean, that's if you're going to take one, I'd take the beaten one. And so finally, the landowner sends his own son, saying, what does he say? They won't touch him. They won't mess with my son. He's my son. They will respect my son. And do they? No, not at all. Yeah, they kill him. They see him a long ways off, and they start getting conspiring fingers, right? They go, hmm. And they come up with a plan. They say, this is the heir. This is the one who the property goes to when the owner dies. If we knock this guy off, then we'll get the property. I don't think it's the best plan in the world, because I don't think they're in line for the property. But these have not proven themselves to be the most intelligent tenants ever. So it's their plan nonetheless, and they're going to go with it. So here's what they do. They grab hold of him, and they kill him, and they throw him out of his own vineyard. Well, what would the landowner do when he comes? What do you think? I love what the passage says. It's got to be, they should make bumper stickers out of this quote. He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at their at the harvest time. Isn't that a great quote? I love it. Anything that says wretches in it, I'm, I'm a huge fan of. That's what he'll do, all right? He said, like, out of the Pharisees and the chief priest's mouth comes the answer. He will toss those bums out. And he will bring in new people who will give him his due. So if this is a parable, right? We all understand that this did not really happen, this whole vineyard thing. But it speaks of something that was really happening at the time. Jesus was trying to engage his audience and say, with this story, this this fictitious story, and create and um, explain to them something that was really going on in their real lives. So, if that parable was speaking about something in their real lives, who do you think the tenants were who were not returning the harvest? Us, yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. But at the time, who was it then? The Pharisees. That's right. The chief priests and the Pharisees were the ones who, they realized this story had been spoken against them. They were the ones, they were the ones who appeared super righteous on the outside. They were the ones who had that appearance of religious religiosity on the outside. They looked good on the outside, but on the inside, they were empty. They were vacuous. They were heartless. They did not love God. On the outside, they looked like they did, but on the inside, they didn't. It's like an M&M with no chocolate on the middle, right? They had the crispy, crunchy coating, but you squeezed that thing and there was nothing but thin air in it. That's how the Pharisees and the chief priests were acting at the time. They had forgotten that their hearts and their lives were supposed to be lived for God. So then, if those people, if the tenants are the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that whole group of super important people at the time, who then is the son of the landowner who was rejected and killed? Jesus, Jesus. all right, way to go. Good answer. 
He was the stone that the builders rejected, from, and which became the cornerstone for a new building. A new building of faith, which included all people from all different nations who were willing to believe in Jesus Christ. Now we, as people said before, we are all recipients of this plan. Bless you. We, through faith in Jesus Christ, are tenants of the vineyard. Okay, so we've got the old tenants. We've got the son. Now what is the vineyard? What was that? Life. The vineyard is everything. The vineyard is absolutely everything in this world and in everywhere. That is the vineyard. It's our bodies. The vineyard is our minds, our hearts, our thoughts, our talents, our abilities, our skills, our education, our children, our wives, our husbands, our friends, our house, our car, our motorcycle, our Mustang, our bank accounts, our credit cards, our church, the earth, the sky, the heavens, the galaxy, the universe. You catching a trend here? Anything not in that list? No, everything great is in that list. And it's all God's vineyard. It all belongs to him. Nothing is excluded. Every last molecule belongs to God. We, therefore, are tenants or stewards in this vineyard. As tenants, it's our responsibility to care for the land, to ensure there is a healthy crop, and to return the harvest to the landowner, if we're going to stick in the parable, right? That is our responsibility. We make sure that we keep it up and that we give him the harvest. So how do we do that here in our own lives when we're not talking about the parable? How do we do that in the real world? Well, we live our lives and conduct our business in a manner that is glorifying to God. That's a real simple kind of bedrock thing. We are honest and trustworthy out of love and respect for our God, who is honest and trustworthy by nature. We are gracious and thankful because we've been given infinite grace and we should give it to others. We serve one another because we follow a God who serves us. We give back to God financially by joyously supporting the church, which is the body of Christ. We give of our time to support God's work in the church, community, and the world. We use our God-given talents to serve God's plan in this world. No matter what our abilities, God has a plan for using them to his glory and to the benefit of the world. That's what it means to live in God's vineyard and to be a tenant of it. It means that we do everything that we do for God's glory we return thanks to him along with, the pro- along with the harvest. We give it back to him. Now, I've been driving my mother-in-law's Mustang, and I love driving that car. But, you know, sometimes, like I was talking about earlier, sometimes I'm a little tempted to drive it in a manner which I assume she would not approve of. Right? I'm just going out on a limb there, right, and guessing about that she would not approve of that. I mean, I've never seen her... I won't even get into the story about what I've done in that car. Especially because I'm being recorded right now. That wouldn't be good. could be used in a court of law. Now, during those times when I'm tempted, it could be helpful for me to imagine that she were sitting in the passenger seat. Right? I can imagine, like, okay, if Terry was here, 
At this point, she would have white knuckles and would be grabbing for my arm, right? And so I should not do this. That would be helpful for me. In the same way, God, whether we want him to be or not, is sitting in the passenger seat of our lives with us. Now, make no mistake, some of us imagine God as kind of this stick in the mud, right? God is not a dour-faced killjoy, right? That is not what God is. God wants us to live our lives in a manner which blesses us. He wants us to enjoy the life he's given us, and he knows how a life should be enjoyed, He knows how a life should be lived. Why does he know that? He created us. We're his. Don't you think he knows how to use us? How to to bless us? How to fill us with joy and hope and peace and life? God knows because he made us. And he made us to be in relationship with him. He made us to be connected to him. He made us to serve him and to give back to him. That's how our bodies were created. God knows that a life faithfully given to him is a life well lived. And so he's there with you right now in the passenger seat. He's there with you saying, Seth, are you sure you want to go 90 miles an hour sideways around that corner? Maybe there's a better way to live right now. Maybe 85 is good. No, he's there with us in the midst of it saying, use your life well. Invest yourself well. Use that gift. Use that zeal for my kingdom. Give me thanks that you have... Give give the thanks back to God that I've got that skill or that you have that skill. Return to him the blessings he's given us. All the money, all the gifts, all the talents, all the character traits that he's blessed us with. We turn those back to him. That is the call that is on our hearts as Christians, is to return those things back to him. My prayer for us is that we would be people who would joyously follow our Lord, and that we would give to him faithfully from the fruits of what he has given to us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have given us so much, Lord. Lord, it's not our stuff. It's not our talents. It's not our wisdom. It's not our wealth, Lord. It's yours. And yet you allow us to use it, Lord God. Give us thankful hearts that we might be able to return it to you, that we might be able to turn it back over to you, Lord, and so release our tenacious grasp of it, Lord. Help us to be people who rightfully give you your due, not out of compulsion, Lord, but out of joy, out of thanksgiving, and out of love. And Lord, may this act of giving, Lord, begin with our hearts as we entrust them to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.